as I was sitting here during our worship time, uh, Pastor Brant taught this old dog a new trick, and that is to pull out my phone during church and actually use it during the service. So part of my worship experience this morning has been posting to all my friends on social media just how excited I am to be here worshiping with you at the Walloon location and how I can't wait to hear how God's going to use Pastor Jeff as he's sharing uh, with the folks over at East Jordan Community Church at 10 o'clock. Uh, at the beginning of the service today, you heard Andy ask you a question if you were uh, here right at 9 o'clock. How's your summer going? I didn't hear any answers yet. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's the first Sunday in August already. Now, I'm not one to sit around and say, summer's almost over. It's gone by so fast, hasn't it? Because that's what makes it go so fast. I would much rather enjoy the beauty that God has given us during the summer uh, season while we have it and let it end when God chooses to let it end. But right now, I want you to think back for a moment to some of the ways that you've enjoyed the summer so far. And I just want you to put into your mind in words, in an image perhaps, the best thing that's happened in your summer. Go ahead and think of it, and uh, as soon as you get something that might be in the top three at least, I want you to shoot your hand up. If you pictured the thing or one of the top three things that's occurred during your summer here in northern Michigan this year, go ahead, shoot your hand up once you think of it. I see some hands trickling up. There's a lot has happened for some of us. Some of us, it's our working season, time to make hay while the sun shines, but I'm seeing more and more hands go up saying, I, I got something in my mind that happened that was really cool, right? The kind of things that make memories, the kind of thing that, that uh, it allows us to be happy and enjoy maybe family time and, and uh, our favorite season for many of us. And now I want you to think of something different. I want you to think of the worst thing that's happened to you this summer. You got it yet? The worst thing, maybe even one of the top three worst things if you have to choose and it's hard to do so. Something that made you the most frustrated, uh, created the most pain and difficulty and anguish. Uh, the thing that you wish you could forget rather than create a memory out of. Go ahead and put your hand up if you can think of what that is. Here's the thing. The more painful that event was, the more likely it was that it popped into your mind and your heart way before you popped your hand up. And... I want you to buckle up because that, that painful experience is the thing that we're talking about today. God's word deals with reality, not just fantasy. The good and the bad and the more pain that you're experiencing right now as you found your way into God's house and under the teaching of his word this morning, the more this message is for you. Having said that, I got to tell you that uh, I firmly believe that I've lived a blessed life. And I've had an awful lot of special things that the Lord has provided for me. And at the same time, I don't know your pain. I know some of it is severe. But you don't know my pain either. And the fact of the matter is, I've had enough of my share of hurts in my life. And in fact, tomorrow I get to go attend a family funeral for someone that I love. It's no longer with us. Each of us has a different background of pain. Some of it in our past, some of it right here in our present. Some of you, some of us, are going to find comfort, encouragement, maybe even a little bit of purpose in that pain today. Some of you, you won't like what God has to say. But I want you to know I'm not just speaking my words. We're going to look at what God's word has to say and what Jesus has to say to each one of us that's experiencing a season of pain right now 
And I'll be sharing some words from others that uh, speak insight and, and uh, wisdom into this understanding. As we're working through this series called Grace Impact, we've been trying to figure out how this fancy spiritual word called grace genuinely impacts or has an effect on our individual lives. Why does it matter, we've been asking ourselves. What's so amazing about grace anyway? We've covered a lot of ground, but perhaps none of the messages yet this series has been quite so real for some of us. Quite so much of a rubber meets the road, relatable kind of a grace that we're looking at today. Paul, not me, and the Holy Spirit ultimately is going to be our tour guide through this leg of our journey today. And he's a respected scholar, he's a missionary, he's an evangelist, he's an author that wrote a significant portion of, of the Bible for us. Uh, he's a preacher. And yet despite all those things, he's still a real person with real problems. And that, far more than any of his credentials, is what makes him an expert on this subject of grace and what we're looking at today. And we're going to catch him literally mid-verse when we read out aloud the word together. So let me summarize what has been going on that leads up to the words we're going to dig into this morning. He's been doing his missionary thing. He's out in the field uh, sharing the gospel and planting churches. And he writes back to a church that he had helped to start a few years earlier called Corinth. And they were messed up. They were believers, but... They were way off track in a whole lot of ways. And some of what Paul is doing in, in the letters to the Corinthians is to redirect and correct some of the things that they had gotten wrong. And, but there were also a handful of people that were following Paul around wherever he went and made their way into Corinth and were stirring up trouble. They were gossiping. They were telling lies about Paul and trying to ruin his reputation of what God was doing through him. Any of you ever had someone spill tea on you? Gossip about you? and they weren't even being truthful about the things that they were saying. Go ahead, if you're brave, raise your hand if you've ever had that experience. That's what Paul has been dealing with for some time now. And so in this letter to Corinth, he, he feels the need to lay out his resume. And not to defend him, but to defend the work that God was doing in the cause of Christ. You see, he had done so much good for other people. He'd done so much to benefit the cause of Christ that if anyone deserved fair treatment. If anyone had earned respect, if anyone could argue that they should get a little bit of a reward for their hard labor and good work, it'd be Paul. And so with that in mind, do you think that God made sure that if Paul was able, when somebody asked him, how's your day going, Paul? You think God made sure that he was able to respond uh, like a famous radio personality that always says, better than I deserve. Do you think that Paul's Instagram post would have been hashtag blessed? Do you think that everything that Paul had going on would have been coming up roses and sunshine in the beautiful weather of northern Michigan at every turn? Let's find out. Let's read Paul's status update that he writes to Corinth, and then we're going to answer some questions together. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of God's word if you're able to do so. We're going to read out loud just a few verses. Again, jumping in mid-verse. You might want to follow along on the screen behind me as we start in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, halfway through. Here we go. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's take just a moment to invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher right now. Lord God, we need more than the words of a preacher or the author of a book, or even a guy like Paul to give his personal experience if we're going to know how to respond to our personal experiences when they turn painful. Lord, we turn to the pages of your word where we find guidance for every situation, especially those circumstances that hurt the most. We ask your Holy Spirit to be our guide. As Paul leads us through his circumstances. And Jesus Christ himself gives a response. Lord, I pray especially for my brothers and sisters who are gathered here, perhaps those who haven't yet found a relationship with you. We're hurting. God, would you bring comfort? Would you bring strength? Would you bring wisdom during this time of great need? We ask God that you would do the things that only you can accomplish in our midst. Knowing that your grace can do more than we are able and more than we deserve today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take your seats if you would. And as we look into this passage, we see in verse 7, Paul talking about a thorn in his flesh. And if you've ever heard a sermon or read a uh, book or a commentary on this passage, this account of Paul, it probably focused on what is the thorn? What is it? In fact, eight years ago, just before uh, I went over and we began the East Jordan Community Church location, Pastor Jeff shared a message on this passage. And he mentioned at that time that uh, some scholars firmly believe that the thorn in the flesh that Paul is complaining about here was some sort of a sickness like malaria or arthritis or perhaps a handicap like blindness or a speech impediment. Other people along the way have suggested over uh, hundreds of years of church history and people trying to solve the puzzle uh, that maybe there was an embarrassing condition like a uh, pronounced limp that made it difficult for him to walk or baldness is one of the suggestions that some people give was wrong with Paul that he was complaining about or impotence even. Uh, some people have suggested that his thorn in the flesh was an addictive temptation. And not the sinful behavior that results, but the constant nagging desire for something that he knew was against his best interest and the glory of Jesus Christ. Other people suggest, and I think perhaps persuasively so, that Paul's thorn in the flesh was actually other people. How many of you, if you were going to pick a thorn in your flesh, it would be other people? I know some of you, because I've seen your Facebook posts, uh, might be willing to say that on the record. Here's the thing. Those gossips that are trying to ruin Paul's life, it's very possible that those were the people that had become the thorn in Paul's flesh. The fact of the matter is we can't know or even have any level of confidence uh, what this thorn was, what was causing it, how to describe it. Here's what we do know. 
The word that Paul uses here in the Greek is scallops. And it's the only place in all of the New Testament of the Bible where this word is used. And so we kind of have to go to outside sources, other Greek texts that aren't biblical, in order to get an idea of what this word means. Please understand, this isn't just a sticker on a rose bush. It's not even a splinter that you pick up while you're working with wood that gets infected and pussy and nasty and, and, and makes you so crazy that you wish you could find a pair of tweezers to pull it out. Now, the definition of scallops, according to uh, Greek language scholars, is that it's a dangerously sharp, spiked instrument or tool. I envision something a little bit like this skewer, the shish kebab stick uh, that came out of a grill set from my garage. In fact, uh, Rick Renner explains that uh, um, this word is also used to describe the stake on which an enemy's decapitated head would be placed. Uh, we found a book that uh, it describes, not written very long ago, an encyclopedia of different surgical instruments that Greek and Roman physicians would use. And the scallop sounds a lot like this, to do surgery on the body. And whatever it is that this thorn in the flesh, this scallop, this, this sharp instrument is, is that's causing the pain in Paul, what we know is it hurts. He's saying, I feel like a piece of meat that's been skewered and set out on the grill. No matter what happens, I just can't seem to get free of the pain. Chuck Smith says, when God didn't answer right away, Paul felt spiritual pain as well. You ever had a situation like that? Maybe you're going through one right, right now where there's something that is excruciatingly painful and it's outside of your control to fix it, to remove it, to take care of it, to overcome the pain. And maybe you've called out to God and, and now it's become not only a physical issue and an emotional issue, maybe it's even affecting your relationships and ultimately affecting your relationship with God. It's become a spiritual challenge in your life as well. That's what's going on with Paul. He's got a hard circumstance that hurts. Now we've got to answer some questions. And some questions that come to mind is uh, in verse 7, where did it come from? And Paul makes no bones about the fact that his scallop, his thorn in the flesh, was a messenger of Satan. You might be thinking, Jason, are we talking about a demon here? Sounds kind of out there. Yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. Demonic activity. You might be thinking, well, Paul belongs to Jesus. How could the devil or demons affect his life? Isn't he protected? Well, let me ask you, maybe you recall the story of Job, where he suffered a great affliction. And the devil came and caused it after receiving permission from God to bring it to bear. On Job's life. Maybe you remember the story of Joseph in Genesis, where after years of slavery and hardship and, and difficulty and unfair treatment being sold by his brothers, he summarizes his entire life story by saying, you, my brothers, and the devil and his demons meant it for evil, but God used it for good. You might even remember the story of Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. Do you recall that the Holy Spirit led him into that wilderness in order to deal with the worst that the devil had to bring upon him. If you're ever thinking, can the devil influence you? Yes, but only 
with God's permission. And if you're wondering, why would God ever allow the devil, his enemy, your enemy, that wants to destroy you to ever touch you? very simple answer is, although it's hard to hear and accept, every time God allows that, what the devil means for bad, God uses for good. I can tell you my story. Some of the most painful experiences that I've been through in life have often turned into some of the greatest blessings that God has provided. Where'd it come from? The enemy that God allowed to maneuver in Paul's life in this way. So then the next question comes, why did God allow that thorn? Because he knew exactly. Paul knew from verse 7, the specific reason and good that God was trying to accomplish in his life, and that was after all the good things that Paul had done, he had the temptation to kind of get a big head, get full of himself, uh, think more than he ought to, it recognize that he thinks it's his doing rather than God's doing, all the good that had been accomplished through him. And Paul knows that this thorn in his flesh has been allowed by God, even though caused by the devil, in order to keep him humble. Do you realize that God cares more about our humility than he does about our happiness? That's what Paul's experiencing here. And then the next question, something we can learn from in verse 8. What did Paul do about it? He prayed. He pleaded with the Lord, he says. Can I just tell you that's the right answer? And Paul's first move wasn't to go to the doctor and see if he could get it surgically removed. His first response wasn't go to a counselor and see if he could be talked down from the condition. His first act wasn't to try and fix the problem himself. Sometimes God uses every one of these things to accomplish good in our lives. But our first response should be Paul's first response, to call out to God. And that's what Paul does when this is afflicting him. Pleased with the Lord, and he says, God, will you remove the pain from my life? Three times he does that in fervent prayer. You ever call out to God before? Especially in a time of need or pain or struggle or hurt. And then you do it again. And you wonder, based on the results, if God really is a God who answers prayer, if God really is even there. It's a spiritual struggle that Paul is now facing. How does God answer Paul's prayer? To take away this pain in verse 9, he gives a fancy way of saying, no. What he says is, my grace is sufficient for you. What God says in response, this is Jesus himself, it's in red letters in my Bible, and it says, uh-huh, uh-uh, not going to happen, Paul. Not this time. Thanks for asking, Paul. Turn into me with your problems and your hurts and your struggles like I told you to. But the answer is still no. You ever ask God to do something? Fix your problem? Ease your pain? Remove your health condition? Restore a loved one that is out of control and you can't bring them back? You ever ask God over and over and all you hear is no. Or perhaps even silence. And yet God appears to be doing nothing in response to your prayer. I want you to see this. 
there is a longer answer. It's not just a fancy way of saying no. There's truth to be heard. If we're willing to listen to Jesus in this passage. And if we're willing to listen carefully to Jesus in the midst of our pain. In response to Paul, God doesn't just ignore him. He doesn't just say no. No, what he says is, my grace is sufficient for you. The fact of the matter is, when you hear a message or read a, a book or a commentary on this passage, most folks don't spend a whole lot of time exploring what is this grace and how does it work? And I believe that this is the key question in the passage. Not what is the pain, but what is the grace that Paul gets in response to his prayer? Frank Viola says, in short, if you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, you will encounter a thorn in the flesh sooner or later. The Lord answered and said that his grace is sufficient. The Lord didn't remove the thorn. He instead caused Paul to forbear. The grace that's sufficient is really twofold. On the one hand, the grace that God is giving to Paul in response to his prayer, in response to Paul's pain, is God meeting him where he's hurting the worst. This sufficient grace is more grace added to all the grace that God has already given. It's what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 91 when he says and refers to God that he will cover you with his feathers and under, wing, under his wings you will find refuge even in the midst of the storm. The storm doesn't go away, but God's refuge is provided in the midst of it. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Even in the midst of the attack, God is protecting his people. That's what he's offering to do with Paul. Pastor Jeff has told you several times that Max Lucado's book, Grace, More Than We Deserve, Greater Than We Imagine, still available on Amazon, by the way, it has influenced our understanding of this passage quite a bit. I want to read a section that Max has to say to us today. A thorn in the flesh, such vivid imagery, the sharp end pierces the soft skin of life cancer in the body, the sorrow in the heart, the child in the rehab center, the red ink on the ledger, the felony still on the record, craving for whiskey in the middle of the day, tears in the middle of the night, thorn in the flesh. Take it away, you pleaded, not once, twice, or even three times. You've outprayed Paul. The wound radiates pain, and you see no sign of relief coming from heaven. What you hear is this. My grace is sufficient for you. Grace takes on an added dimension here. Paul is referring to sustaining grace. Saving grace saves us from our sins. Sustaining grace meets us at our point of need and equips us with courage, wisdom, strength. It surprises us in the middle of our personal pain with ample resources of faith. Get this. Sustaining grace promises not the absence of struggle, but the presence of God. The response that Paul got in answer to his fervent prayer for God to remove the pain 
was Jesus saying, my grace is sufficient to get you through this, even while I'm saying no to your request to remove it. But there's another aspect of sustaining grace, the sufficiency of the grace that Jesus is speaking to in response to Paul's pain. And really, I believe this is the real question that most of us are asking. And Paul gives the answer under the inspiration of God himself. If God doesn't take away the pain, is the grace that he's offering to sustain us through it enough? Another way to ask the question is, if he doesn't take away your pain, is the grace he's already unleashed on you sufficient for you? If grace is sufficient, it's because he's already given us so much of it. We've learned together over the last few weeks, if you caught us each week, then you know each of these things, that the impact that grace can have on our lives, whether we're in pain or in a moment of, of uh, perfection in our lives. And number one, the first week that Jeff stood before you and shared on the idea of grace is that grace has a name, Jesus. If you want to know more about grace, just look at what Jesus has done, past, present, and future. What he did on the cross on behalf of each and every one of us. What he is doing in your life and in the life of true followers of his, even when we don't always see his fingerprints on our pain. And what he will do for each person who trusts in Jesus Christ as their Savior and will continue to do for all eternity when all the pain has gone away and we're in his presence forever. We saw the second week that we gathered together that grace has an enemy called bitterness because there's no room in our hearts for the work of God's grace while we're harboring bitterness toward others. But Jesus can heal even our deepest wounds. We saw the next week that grace is needed and necessary because God's grace is greater than our biggest sin. He can forgive and overcome our guilt and our shame. And then the next week we saw that grace isn't fair. And that's a good thing because we can either choose exactly what we deserve, which is bad, or we can choose to allow grace to offer us so much more than we've ever deserved. And last week, Jeff shared with you that Jesus didn't get stuck with you like the last one picked on a team. Jesus chose you to be part of his forever family. And he loves you more than any parent ever could. And all of that grace has been poured out on each and every one of us, including Paul, before the season of pain ever came in. When Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul understood that the grace of the past tense that's already been showered upon him was sufficient. It was enough. It was, in fact, more than enough, even if God chose to give no more measures of grace to remove the scallop. Paul recognized knowing more about grace and about pain than most of us do. God's grace was not lacking even when Jesus chose to say no removing his pain. What's more, in verse 10, Paul goes on to say, that is why, because God is doing good through what the devil meant for evil, because God is allowing the pain to remain, but still giving sufficient grace to me, 
He says, therefore, I will boast. He says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in the weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. When I'm weak, then I am strong. If you're going through a season of pain right now, there's nothing in my heart that wants to minimize that today. But I want you to understand God is using it to make you strong. To do what only he can do in you and through you. And that his grace is sufficient to get you through that season of pain. And the grace that he's already poured out on you is more than sufficient to ensure that a good God has been more than fair to you as well. This thorn in Paul's side reminded him to rely on God's strength face of his own weakness. It reminded him of the unsurpassing grace that has been poured out in so many ways already, despite God saying no. And here's the question that only you can answer. Can you say the same? And can you look to your season of pain, however hurtful it is, after asking God repeatedly to take it away, and accept the response Grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to read a rather lengthy excerpt of another book that Max Lucado wrote on grace because I think he concludes this topic better than I ever could. This comes from his book, In the Grip of God's Grace. He says this, here's the scene. You and I and a half dozen other folks are flying across the country in a charted plane. All of a sudden, the engine bursts into flames, and the pilot rushes out of the cockpit. We're going to crash, he yells. We've got to bail out. Good thing he knows where the parachutes are, because we don't. He passes them out, gives us a few pointers, and we stand in line as he throws open the door. The first passenger steps up to the door and shouts over the wind, Can I make a request? Any way I could get a pink parachute? The pilot shakes his head in disbelief. Isn't it enough that I gave you a parachute at all? And so the first passenger jumps. The second steps up to the door. I'm wondering if there's any way you could just ensure that I won't get nauseated during the fall. No, but I can ensure that you will have a parachute for the fall, the pilot replies. Each of us, with a request, comes up and receives a parachute. Please, Captain, says one. I'm afraid of heights. Would you remove my fear? No, he replies, but I'll give you a parachute and a nudge. <clears throat> can you change the plan, says the next. I don't like the idea of jumping out of a moving plane. You don't understand what you're asking, says the pilot. Only one item is necessary for the jump, and he provides it. He places a strategic tool in our hands. The gift is adequate. But are we content? No. We are restless, anxious, even demanding. Too crazy to be possible? Maybe in a plane with pilots and parachutes, but on earth, God hears thousands of appeals per second. Some are legitimate. But he usually answers with a gentle shove that leaves us airborne and suspended by his grace. All you want is a changed plan or a miraculous healing or an answered prayer for which you will be thankful if granted. And so you pray and wait. No answer. 
You pray and wait. No answer. And so you pray and wait again. Max goes on to say, may I ask you a very important question? What if God says no? What if the request is delayed or even denied? When God says no to you, how will you respond? If God says, I've given you my grace, and that is enough, will you be content? A state of heart in which you would be at peace if God gave you nothing more than he already has. So test yourself with this question. What if God's only gift to you were his grace to save you? Would you be content with that? Max gets even harder. He says, you beg him to save the life of your child. You plead with him to keep your business afloat. You implore him to remove the cancer from your body. What if his answer is, my grace is enough? Would you be content? It's right to ask these questions when we experience pain and scallops in our life. We don't have to endure them in silence. God invites us to come and call out to him during our time of need. But sometimes, often, his answer isn't just no. His answer is, my grace is sufficient to get you through this. My grace that I've already poured out on you is enough. Trust me as I walk you through the pain. Is his grace sufficient for you? The more pain you've experienced, the harder this question is to answer. The more pain you're going through right now, the more important it is for you to come to your choice. And there's only two options. Will you choose to accept the answer that God gives? My grace is sufficient for you. And then trust him through it. Or will you become bitter? Because you heard God say no. I want to invite each of you now, especially if you're enduring a season of pain right now. Seek the Lord. Search your own heart. It's a simple question. During that season of pain, will you be content if God says no? Will you allow the grace that he chooses to lavish on you to be sufficient for you as well? The worship team is going to come up, give you one more opportunity to praise the Lord. Prayer, prayer corner is going to be manned with prayer partners that are here. Some of you might want to make your way over there as we close during the music and Take a moment to pray or to be prayed for. Each of us who are enduring a season of pain have to come to our answer to the question. If God says no, will you be content? Let's take a moment to talk to him right now. My Father and our God, I lift up my brothers and my sisters here, myself, my family, so many others that are hurting. 
God, you know every intimate detail of the pain that nobody else may know or understand. God, I pray with many people here that you would remove the pain, that you would bring healing, that you would accomplish the things that only you can do that we've seen you do in the past. God, I pray even more that you prepare our hearts, that you would give us the wisdom, the courage, the strength, the trust in you as the pilot who knows things we don't. To accept what you choose to give us and not demand more. Will you bring us to a point of decision today? Will you gently lead us into the choice to let your grace be sufficient for each one of us? Thank you.